Scientists say last year was the warmest one in a century. I'm Richard Hoops for Earthwatch Radio. The U.S. space agency, NASA, has used information from thermometers, satellites, and records from ships to create a comprehensive record of the Earth's temperature. It covers land and sea in more than 100 years. And when NASA scientists looked at the data for 2005, they found that it was the warmest year in more than a century. Drew Schindel is a climatologist with the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, and he specializes in climate modeling. Schindel says the current rate of global warming cannot be explained by natural events. Natural causes have led to extraordinary changes in climate in the past, with the ice ages being a dramatic example. But Schindel says computer models of climate point to human activity as the cause of the current change. And in the ice age, there's definite known causes that made the climate change, and those really aren't taking place now. So using the models, we can really say that the only way to explain what's going on is by accounting for the human input. Schindel says an increase in temperature itself might not seem like a big problem, but we will notice the side effects of the warming. Obviously, it's a little bit warmer, but that's not really all that big a deal in most most cases. People are not all abandoning Miami because it's too warm compared to Washington or something. The problem are things like changes in rainfall and storms. For example, rainfall might decrease in places like the American Southwest and lead to long and frequent droughts, and warmer ocean currents might feed hurricanes and make them stronger. Schindel says these kinds of changes can already be seen. He says the intensity of hurricanes Katrina and Rita were quite likely connected to the record heat recorded last year. Earthwatch Radio is a service of the Sea Grant Program and the Nelson Institute at the University of Wisconsin. is a naturalist. A naturalist is someone who looks at a tree and thinks of soil. A naturalist is someone who gazes at a mountain and sees a growing delta. A naturalist is someone who peers into a deep, clear spring and imagines cold, dark caverns. A naturalist is someone who gauges the seasons by the fading of the flowers and the arrival of geese. A naturalist absorbs, experiences, shares, perceives, dreams, and imagines along every step of the trail. A naturalist knows and doesn't know, sees and doesn't see, but always with a sense of wonder. You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. (laughs) The circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy, and (laughs) therefore wealthy, to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. As usual, this is Your Community Spirit, 
always coming at you, almost always, at 10 a.m. on Friday mornings. So we're up bright and early. I've actually been up since 5 a.m. So I'm actually awake today. <laughs> so it's good to be here sharing in the community spirit. Are you ready for the end of the world? Listen to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. Listen to your community spirit every Friday morning from 10 to 10.30. All right, we'll get right to happenings. Yes. Um, well, you have a happening for today. I have a happening for tomorrow. <laughs> yes, a happening for today. Pedal to the people. A pedal-powered folk tour. Brought to you by Bruna Sahajan and... Adama Roland. This is tonight at 8 p.m. at the Big Muddy IMC. It's over at 214 North Washington in Carbondale. Actually, just a few doors down from the radio station. And they've got it's people coming to town on bikes, and they've got music, like folk music. And the event they're doing at the IMC is a big folk music thing. So it's pretty exciting. It's actually preempting, I believe, the 6 o'clock movie. But at 8 o'clock, we are having the Riot Folk. And you can get more information on them at www.riotfolk.org. Also, more info on the Big Muddy IMC at www.bigmuddyimc.org. Yeah, I almost went and saw them when they were in St. Louis. Hmm. I mean, they've been traveling across the country, so... yeah. Um, a bunch of my friends in St. Louis went and saw them and were just raving. Yeah, I think, I'm wondering if I may have seen them actually, because there was a group that came to town like um, just a day or two ago, and they were at Turley Park and they had big, sort of funny looking bicycles and they were doing music, so <laughs> might have been these same people. If not, either way, we'll get to hear them tonight at the IMC. Otherwise, from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday, June 3rd. It is already June. Yes, June is upon us. Household Hazardous Waste Collection at the SIU Arena South parking lot. Um, this is sponsored by the Jackson County Health Department. Ooh, the first 200 residents to bring in a mercury thermometer will receive one non uh, or one new non-mercury digital thermometer in exchange. Huh, wow. Mercury thermometers can be identified by the silver liquid inside. Now bring the thermometer in a sealed plastic bag. Yes. So Sounds like time for a scavenger hunt. Go find all of those leftover mercury thermometers and turn them in because they are hazardous wastes. <laughs> now there is a long list of stuff that our area accepted. Instead of reading that list, I will read the stuff that is not accepted at the household hazardous waste. Not accepted are explosives, ammunition, fire extinguishers, smoke detectors, propane tanks, medical waste, radioactive material, <laughs> which includes a smoke detector. They have a small amount of radioactive material in them. Fireworks, tires, and appliances. But otherwise, there's a long, long list of poisons, herbicides, insecticides, paint thinners, oil-based paints, etc. 
So Again. would uh, baby diapers count as hazardous human waste that are not collected? <laughs> well, it matters what kind. There are uh, baby <laughs> diapers that are completely and totally 100% recyclable. Yes. So the little the little packets that they carry, baby <laughs> hazardous human waste. <laughs> For more information, go to RecycleJacksonCounty.org or show up tomorrow from 8 to 3 p.m. at the SIUC Arena South Parking Lot. I'm going to have to get rid of some junk from my place. <laughs> so that's it on happenings. I have one for next week, not this Saturday, but Saturday, June 10th. Free Global Positioning System Navigation Workshop. This is put out by the Shawnee Group Sierra Club. The reason why I'm letting you know about it this week is because pre-registration is required. Mm-hmm. For more information, contact Bob Pauls at... 713-2069. This workshop will provide hands-on experience in the theory and practical use of the global positioning system devices for exploring the outdoors. Yes. You don't need this to explore the outdoors, <laughs> but it does make it a lot easier to know exactly where you're at. Yeah, if there's some specific spot you're trying to find that you know the GPS coordinates of. <laughs> well, they have this thing called geocaching. Yeah. Caching where people hide things in little containers and then put it on a website. Yeah. I think it's geocaching.org or something like that. And then if you have a GPS unit, you can go find it <laughs> and either take something out of the container or put something into it. And, you know, then you go to the website and say, oh, you know, <laughs> I found it. Or Yeah. I found one of those ones with some friends. It was fun. Yeah. We weren't even, we weren't, you know, doing the hunt, but we were out in the outdoors and we climbed up on some little rocks and <laughs> there was a little box <laughs> did it have a note in it yeah it had a note in it saying this is part of the gps caching and so i know they're out there oh and actually i do have one happening coming up and i don't have the date confirmed yet but since it's involving trying to get the whole community involved i thought i'd mention it now and it's the summer shout out it's an event that's going to be at the town square pavilion bringing together social and ecological community groups and individuals. And it's going to have speakers and songs. And so if you're interested in more information or having your group be involved, you can contact me, Treesong. My email address is treesong at treesong.org. And we'll have more of the exact details as they develop next week. So it should be exciting. A big valley in the middle of summer. All the revolutionary fervor is in the air. If you have happenings, please go to our website, yourcommunityspirit.org, and send us an email, because our email is secret unless you go to our website. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Not really, but... Okay, to the news. To the news. Da-da-da-da! We still haven't come up with music. The little teletype machine. We need that, but it also is like... We bring you the dirt to help you... What was it? Oh, we bring you the dirt to help you grow? Something like that? Mm. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, it would be good, though, to have our own action news, like, sound effects. Like Your community spirit, we bring you the dirt <laughs> to help you grow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A penny saved is a penny spurred. Bush administration looks to cut funding for energy efficiency. 
To fund long-term research in speculative future energy sources, the Bush administration wants to cut guaranteed present-day energy savings. The proposed 2007 Energy Department budget would eliminate $152 million, this is roughly 16% of the energy budget, from its energy efficiency programs. A program to improve the efficiency of heavy-duty trucks would be axed completely, as would one focused on new buildings. A technology improvement project that saved the U.S. $9 billion in oil in 2004 would have its budget chopped by a third from 2005 levels, even though it's already saved more oil than the administration's hydrogen fuel initiative would by 2025. Quote, at this point in time, with high energy prices and pressures, you'd think that maybe we'd want to invest in this suite of energy efficiency programs that make a dent right away, says William Prindle of the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy. We don't know whether to laugh or cry. (laughs) We're kind of thinking cry. A little of both, maybe. Straight to the source, the Christian Scientist Monitor. I said scientist. (laughs) Oh, pshh. The Christian Science Monitor, <laughs> the 31st of May, 2006. Yes. That reminds me, you, you missed out the other day on the one that was about uh, SUVs, and there was a program where you would get a fuel savings if you bought an SUV. Like, you buy the SUV, and then in California and Florida, you'd get a discount on fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Who? What? It was one of the car manufacturers. It was the, I guess they figured it was the only way they could sell those things anymore. <laughs> I'll have to send you that one. Or you could go to yourcommunityspirit.org and listen to the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I was out of town, so I kind of missed it. I kept thinking, you know, if I was had an internet out here in the woods, <laughs> I could listen to Tree Song right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. so let's see. In other news, uh, I've got to read this one, if only for the title. It's the end of the world as we blow it. It's the end of the world as we blow it. And I (laughs) blow it too. (laughs) I was going to say feel fine, but (coughs) not really. Not really. (laughs) Ecosystems don't like hurricanes any more than we do. Really? Wow. With hurricane season approaching, scientists are voicing worries about the ability of coastal ecosystems to recover from repeated storms. Some 118 square miles of coastal wetlands were lost to Hurricane Katrina, and the Gulf Coast is vulnerable to more loss, as many islands that had acted as storm barriers are fragmented or submerged after two busy hurricane seasons. Quote, It takes a long time for these dunes to reestablish naturally, so the next storm that comes along will have an easier job overtopping the islands and flooding inland areas, says the U.S. Geological Survey oceanographer. One example of ecosystem disruption, Florida mangrove trees are suffocating under silt piled up by back-to-back hurricanes. Repeated storms, quote, could eventually be the threshold that tips the bucket and leads freshwater systems to become breakish, and the whole system kind of collapses says USGS environmental scientist Thomas Doyle. EGAD. Straight to the source, Baltimore Sun, Associated Press, 28th of May, 2006. I don't understand this title. It says, yeah, but how's Shiloh doing? Hmm. 
Yeah, but how is Shallow doing? I don't know. S H I L O H. I don't know. Maybe when we hear the whole article, it'll make sense. Climate change <laughs> gets splashy covers in U.S. Today and U.S. News. <laughs> the middle of the road U.S. Today is running a series on global warming this week. Guess that means mainstream America is getting hip onto the crisis. <laughs> Articles covered the life of an echo-groovy family in Colorado, the greening of corporate America, and the likelihood of an abrupt day-after-tomorrow Esquire climate changes. Who knows? Alaska gets a special designation as the poster state for climate problems. Apparently, it's melting. (laughs) I'm melting, melting. (laughs) And is the subject of a three-part video series. Other features point out global warming's effects on precipitation, wildlife, and the Everglades. The coverage is even more interactive. Readers are entreated to help scientists track the beginning of spring through the blooming of lilacs and honeysuckle and can take a global warming quiz. Question number one. Is global warming real? (laughs) Hint. I don't know. Hint. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, U.S. News and World Report has a cover story this week on preparing for and adapting to a warmer world. Whoever thought climate change would drive, it says, bring Alini's new spawn off the front pages. Hmm. Another little corp, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wacky. Straight to the source, USA Today, the 30th of May. And uh, U.S. News and World Report, the 5th of June. 2006. Yes. I'm starting to think it may be a pop culture reference that we're both just so cool that we don't watch enough TV to get. <laughs> Maybe. But if anyone has the info on that, they can email us and we'll understand pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, we won't. But we'll understand we'll what closer. you're emailing us. Yes. Probably. I understand about a quarter of pop culture really well and then the rest eludes me. <laughs> so let's see. In other news, whose side are they on? That's C-I-D-E, like pesticide. (laughs) Whose side are they on? California regulating pesticide, air pollution, and fish farming. California is trailblazing again. It aims to be the first state in the U.S. to tackle air pollution from pesticide use. State officials hope to eliminate tons, literally tons, (laughs) of smog-forming gases that waft from pesticide-treated agricultural regions. California's Department of Pesticide Regulation, long accused of doing very little regulating, is finally getting on the ball, asking manufacturers to reformulate more than 700 pesticides to reduce small contributing volatile organic compounds. Next year, the DPR plans to impose stricter rules on soil fumigants, which by weight account for about 25% of applied pesticides in California. The state aims to reduce pesticide air pollution at least 20% by 2008 and hopes to convince the state and hopes to convince the U.S. EPA to follow its lead. In other California Spanks the U.S. news, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger on Friday signed into law the strictest ocean fishing farming regulations in the nation. Straight to the source, Los Angeles Times, 30th of May, 2006. Happy days are here again. Ancient Arctic was balmy, a discovery that worries climate scientists. 55 million years ago, 
The average temperature of the Arctic was a balmy 74 degrees, according to research published today in Nature. <laughs> It really amazes me what scientists can figure out. Yeah. <laughs> We can't figure out, like, you know, what we're going to do. I can't remember what I did last week. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Or what I'm going to do next week. But a scientist can figure out that 55 million years ago. Hmm. Anyway. You've got to study those. Rock formations very carefully to figure out that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, actually, not rock formations. Ah, what is it this time? The data was gleaned from the first significant sample of seafloor sediment ever taken from underneath the thick ice at the North Pole. Huh. During the Paleocene, Eocene, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how you pronounce it, <laughs> thermal maximum, the Quote, the Earth released a giant fart of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, according to Dutch researcher Appy Silius. Now, this is, he's a scientist. Why can't he be, like, you know, scientific? Yeah. I well, what's funny is the rest of the article, he may be very scientific, and then he says the word fart. <laughs> the greenhouse gas release was much larger than what humans are, um, well, emitting. Emitting yes. today. <laughs> But even given the strength of the ancient release, current climate models show the Arctic would have been much cooler at that point. What's up? Climate scientists worry the discrepancy may suggest that they've underestimated the warming power of greenhouse gases or that there are other unknown factors that amplify warming. And the same research indicates that there may be vast oil deposits below the Arctic Sea. <laughs> hey, all the better to warm the globe even more. Yes. <laughs> Straight to the source, the New York Times, Nature, BBC News, the 31st of May, and the New York Times, the 1st of June, 2006. <laughs> yes, because we all know that we need more warming of the globe. <laughs> so let's see, in other news, this one's actually from treehugger.com. <laughs> sounds like a, well, I've been to the website, interesting website, and here's an interesting story. Researchers at the University of Bir Birmingham in the UK fed E. coli bacteria a feast of leftover waste caramel and nougat from chocolate giant Cadbury Swamp. Oh, they're wasting it. <laughs> yeah. All that, how could they have the waste? Anyway, <laughs> I don't know how any amount of chocolate could be waste, but anyway, they fed... Chocolate waste. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm visioning it. Envisioning piles of extra chocolates. <laughs> Just imagine. Yeah. Chocolate nougat. I think they should do an experiment where they feed uh, tons of less leftover chocolate waste to me. And <laughs> <laughs> discover the ecological benefits. Do you have E. coli in you? Um, maybe somewhere. Well, you have to see what it does, though. Yes. If you mix it with E. coli, what happens? Yes, let's see. It they creates feed it to the gas. E creates gas. Dun, dun, dun. They fed this leftover chocolate and caramel and nougat to the E. coli bacteria. And the result is happy bacteria, which subsequently burped out hydrogen gas, which in turn was harnessed by a fuel cell and powered an electric fan. The research team called the experiment a, quote, hydrogen-producing, waste-reducing technology that, for example, might be scaled up in five to ten years' time for industrial electricity generation and waste treatment processes i'm not giving my chocolate to anything <laughs> to make gas yeah i mean choosing between hydrogen fuel and extra chocolate to eat that's a <laughs> tough one <laughs> what fish you can eat with 
Oh, let's see. It's another one. So that's a separate story. But yeah, so E. coli being fed chocolate and getting so happy that they power fans and vehicles for us. All right, from RenewableEnergyAccess.com. The World Bank is ramping up renewable energy. <laughs> we've been Over the years, we've talked a lot of bad things about uh, the World Bank because <laughs> they've tended to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> a <But> little bit. <laughs> here is a little good story. It's very basic. For the past year, the World Bank has been researching <laughs> what it would take for the world to... S- substantially reduce carbon dioxide emissions in the atmosphere, according to World Bank energy economist Gary Stuggins. The analyst is finding the analyst is finding that renewable energy technology may be able to take the place of fossil fuels more quickly than previously believed, <laughs> as higher energy prices make these technologies more attractive. Yes. Well, at least they're researching. Yeah, at least they're researching. I wish they would have given me the grant and I could have just told them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, but you have to have the ability to give, well, I was going to say, lots and lots of, you know, words, but I yeah. think you could do that. I could do that. And source, yeah, okay. Sources I'd have to look up, <laughs> but I've read plenty of them that indicate the same. So let's see, in other news, oh, we mentioned the storms earlier. So, the freak out before the storm. Officials try to scare Americans into prep, uh, preparing for hurricane season. As hurricane season approaches, officials in storm-prone states are determined to scare residents into being ready to take care of themselves. Because, as we all saw last year, the government sure ain't up to the job. <laughs> Florida officials are broadcasting public service announcements with recordings of terrified 911 calls made during 2004's Hurricane Ivan. Oh, great. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure that will keep everyone in a state of calm. (laughs) Mississippi's Stay Alert, Stay Alive campaign urges people to pack an evacuation kit and, like many states, orders residents to stockpile... Wow, orders. Orders residents to stockpile at least three days' worth of food and water. Recent polls show that a majority of residents remain stubbornly unprepared. Maybe they will be jolted into action by two new studies supporting the theory that global warming is linked to more intense, destructive storms. Now that's scary. Straight to the source, New York Times, 31st of May, 2006. All right. If if at first you don't succeed, keep not succeeding. (laughs) House passes legislation to drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge again. Well, here we go again. For the 947th time, the House has passed legislation that will open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to drilling. Less than six months before congressional elections, House Republicans are desperate to show they're doing something about high gas prices. Of course, that something is largely symbolic, as the measure is likely to crash and burn in the Senate. The bill passed at 225 to 202. 30 Republicans voted against drilling, but were balanced out by 27 Democrats who voted in favor. The drilling's measure's chief sponsor, California Republican Richard Pombo, who else, thundered at Democrats, quote, You've got this pie-in-the-sky idea that we're going to vent a 100-mile-per-hour-per-gallon carburetor, and all of a sudden our problems are going to go away. End quote. 
He's right, you know. Our problems won't go away until we drill in the refuge and gas prices drop. By a penny. <laughs> in a decade. Or so. Straight to the source, the Los Angeles Times, the 26th of May. 26th of May, 2006. Yes. Well, at least if you're going to have arch villains, you know, that you may as well have predictable ones who keep trying the same little scheme. <laughs> so let's see. In one, one close to home. Yes, one close to home. In other news, folks in New York City and Washington, D.C. Not really close to home. <laughs> are up in arms today about Homeland Security funding cuts to protect them from terrorism in favor of funds for heartland cities. And what are some of those Midwestern threats to national security? Well, apparently, wind farms. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> According to the Chicago Tribune, at least 15 Midwest wind farm projects have been delayed this year, shut down by the FAA at the request of the Defense Department. The Pentagon wants to study whether wind turbines affect radar's ability to detect small planes. While the study is underway, the FAA is ordering projects to stop or delay construction. How did such a thing come to pass? Why stop wind farms when there are already wind farms all over the country? Senator John Warner of Virginia inserted a one-sentence measure into a defense spending bill ordering the study. Why Warner? It might have something to do with the fact that he is a frequent vacationer on Cape Cod, where a proposed wind power project has met opposition from wealthy landowners worried about their view being disturbed. According to the Tribune, the British military solved the potential radar problem with computer software. Meanwhile, workers like those in Bloomington, Indiana, are wondering why they were told to stop work on the Twin Groves Wind Farm Project. When jobs are scarce, and even President Bush has extolled the advantages of wind. So, wow, I've been to Bloomington, Indiana. That's quite the story. So, stopping wind power because it may interfere with detecting small planes, and yet there's already been discovered a means of probably fixing that. All right, I've got a few, two more happenings, and then we'll be gone. Ooh, you love that voodoo that Bonnaroo do to you. <laughs> the astounding cool week long, weekend-long Tennessee-based music and arts festival is adding some serious green initiatives this year, including organic cotton and hemp t-shirts, some um, biodegradable concession wares, smart waste management strategies, cleaner fuel options, and a revolutionary recycling process that will turn 250 tons of festival garbage into construction material and park benches to be used at future events. The fifth annual three-day camping and music festival will be held on June 16th through the 18th on a 700-acre farm in Manchester, Tennessee, 60 miles south of Nashville. Huh. And going green. The Midwest Renewable Energy Association would like to announce the Renewable Energy and Sustainable Living Fair. This is the 17th annual, that is June 23rd through the 25th this year, at the Renew the Earth Institute in Custer, Wisconsin. For more information, you can contact me or go to their website, which is the-mrea.org. That's it. Have a good week. (laughs) 